We so quickly see the dreaded faults in others, but so very often we neglect to see how full of evil our own hearts are. We are forever screaming to the Lord for justice against our enemies, but mercy towards us, and so dull that we don't seem to see a problem with that. How often do we point out other people's faults, point out the things that other people are doing wrong, the ways that they are being evil or distrusting against God, but we fail to hold the mirror up and see the evil in our own hearts, in our own lives. When reputation gets in the way of our character and pleasing ourselves is more important than pleasing God, we are in danger of becoming like Jonah and living to defend our own prejudices instead of fulfilling our spiritual responsibilities. Oftentimes, our character, our pleasing ourselves, our self-centeredness gets in the way of uh, pleasing God. We wanna defend the things that are wrong and it gets in the way of fulfilling our spiritual responsibilities. Okay, so the last few weeks we've been covering the book of Jonah, the book that most of us remember as the great big fish and the man that was on the run. And I'll admit, I've heard this story hundreds of times in my life, having grown up in church, but it is a book of the Bible that I have never studied. Um, I've read the book of Jonah um, as I've read the Bible, you know, in a year and done all of those things. But I think oftentimes if there's familiar stories in the Bible, we kind of skim over them because we think we know what it says. So we just move on, you know, he was swallowed by a whale, he was there three days, he got spit out, and um, then he delivered a message, right? But I have found over my life that studying books of the Bible, really digging into them is where we find out the true character of God and who he is. So a quick recap, Pastor Jordan has done the first three chapters. Jonah 1, um, there's a Jonah in all of us. We're prone to run. There's always going to be something in competition for what God has for us and always ready to take us in the opposite direction. Um, But luckily, God works for our good despite our failures. In Jonah 2, we see that Jonah cries out in the belly of a whale. He cries out with a prayer of passion from the depths of the graves. I called for help and you listened to my cry. And if we aren't careful, we begin to think of the fish as punishment when really God sent it as a way to protect and provide for Jonah. Jonah 3, we talked about last week, a story of second chances and repentance. Repentance rarely feels good. It's a lifelong journey, something we have to constantly do to turn our life back to God. But good news, a bad choice does not disqualify you from the things that God has planned. And that is so important because we're all going to make a bad choice. We're all going to go in the wrong direction for a little bit. But coming back to God, turning back to him, he is able to do the things that he wants in our life. So today we're going to move on to Jonah chapter 4, the last book of Jonah. And then Pastor Jordan will wrap this up next Sunday um, just with a summary of Jonah Um, and in comparison to Jesus. So today, we talk about Jonah 4, and I think you will be amazed at what you discover about God today. So let's read this together. You can open your Bibles or follow along on the screen. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran to Tarshish. 
I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You were eager to turn back from destroying your people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Then the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. As the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant, so it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about this plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, we thank you that you give us heart to hear what you have to say, ears to be inclined Um, just to what you want to do in this place today. I thank you that you would open our eyes to the character of who you are, and as it is reflected into us, that we would see transformation, that we would walk away um, from this message this morning with ways that we can become more like you, that we can have the heart that you desire for us to have. We thank you for this time of studying your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're going to break it down. The first couple verses, um, it was interesting. I was talking to a couple of friends this week, and I was, like, explaining this, and I was being all dramatic about it, and I was like, man, I feel like you could be really, um, like, make a skit out of this. Um, But Jonah, so this change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry, right? Have you ever been in that spot where you are very angry? because something didn't go as you thought it should go, right? So he complained to the Lord, didn't I say, right? Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this? That's why I ran away. I knew you were merciful. I knew you were compassionate. I knew you were slow to get angry and filled with love and wanting people to turn back to you. Just kill me now. Has anyone ever said that? Um, I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. So here we see Jonah throwing like a childlike fit. We see a man who has just preached the shortest and maybe the worst sermon ever, um, a message of repentance, and now he's angry at God that he is willing to be merciful to the Ninevites. So you see, Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, and they did not just conquer their enemies, they tortured them first. So if you knew the Assyrians were coming, if you heard that war drum sound coming, you were fearful, you were afraid, and you knew that not only were they going to take over your city, but they were going to hurt you first. 
And as Jonah is called to this place, this would be similar to us being asked to go minister to the people of ISIS. You knew they had done horrible things, and God's calling you to go preach a message and ask them to repent for their sins. Not exactly the plans that most of us have to be placed in those dangerous situations, but this is what God was calling Jonah to do. And Jonah knew who God was and his willingness to show mercy and compassion when his people repented. So he wasn't necessarily afraid to go to Nineveh, but he was afraid that God would be who he said he was. So how do we behave when we don't get our way? Do we pout and complain? Do we grumble? Are we angry? Do we scream or we sulk? Um, As we read through this chapter, I want to point out a few things. First of all, our words. Once we lose sight of God and his ways, our words start to become reckless. Our words, our actions, our time, and our resources. And this is what precisely was happening to Jonah. When we don't get our way in life, when God does things differently than we want, we begin to act on our own narrative, our own initiative. And today we discover through Jonah's clearly stated feelings, because he didn't hold anything back, that he was using his words to push back against God. This very much is God's character to allow us to be in situations that reveal our true character. Jeff didn't even know I was talking about this, but right? So we're placed in situations, it reveals our true character. And in the book of Jonah, we see the worst parts of our own character magnified. We see, um, yes, and this should allow us to find humility and empathy towards others when God has shown us all so much mercy and grace. And it's often not a pretty sight when we look in the mirror and see those things reflected back at us. In Proverbs 4.23, it reminds us, above all else, guard your heart, for it affects everything you do. Many times I think we become drunk on our own potential, like we have a plan, we know where we want to go, and um, we allow it to um, just have our hearts not guarded. And we need to protect our hearts. We need to keep them close to Jesus. We need to obey. In the Bible, the whole spectrum of human emotions is attributed to the heart. Wisdom and understanding also reside in the heart. And in the scripture, heart can also signify your mind, your discernment, and your good sense. But the heart can be easily deceived, especially when we want our own way. And it's very important for us to guard it. If the book of Jonah had ended at chapter 3, history would have portrayed Jonah as one of the greatest prophets. After all, preaching a message that had thousands of people motivated to turn from their evil ways and repent was no small accomplishment. But God doesn't look on the outward things. Rather, God looks at our heart. What's the motivation behind the action? Motivation is always important to God. And unlike man, God looks inwardly, not outwardly. So you maybe have heard this saying before, your thoughts become your words, your words become your actions, your actions become your habits, and your habits become your destiny. So the things that we're thinking are often the things that we're saying, and then so on and so forth. God is looking at Jonah's heart. And although Jonah did end up obeying God and sharing the message of repentance, Um, And preaching to the Ninevites, his heart did not reveal the heart of God. I find it interesting in chapter 4 how much I can relate to Jonah, even in those first few verses. How many times do I come to God 
with a plan, I've got it all figured out, right? So I come to God, and then I sit there and I wait, hoping that God's going to say, yeah, go ahead with that plan, <laughs> because I came up with it, and it was really good, and I have step-by-step, you know, things to do. But, or how many times do we do a portion of what God asks us to do in hopes that the end result will be to our own benefit? We've all been there, change of plans, and we get angry. We allow our anger to fill our words, and we whine and complain. Um, And we think that that will actually change God's mind, but it doesn't. And in Philippians, Paul reminds us we're supposed to be doing everything without arguing and complaining. This section of the Bible um, reminds me of a toddler begging a parent to do what they want them to do, right? What benefits them the most? Jonah knows who God is, so much so that he repeats it back to him. And um, these are the same words that God spoke in Exodus of who he was. And Jonah says, I knew that you were merciful. I know that you are compassionate. You're slow to get angry. You're filled with love. And you're eager to turn back from destroying your people. Then he gets slightly dramatic and says, just kill me now. Pretty extreme if you ask me. But I feel like in a way we all do those things sometimes. We don't get our way. And so we're like, you know what? Forget it. I'm done. I'm done with it all. A couple of years ago in Powerhouse Kids, we did a series that was one of my favorites, and it was called The Attributes of God. So we spent a full semester learning who God is, um, and I wanted the kids not only to know that for themselves, but also so they could share it with others. So if someone said, well, who is this God that you serve, they would be able to say um, that God is almighty, God is alpha and omega, God is compassionate, he is faithful, he forgives, God is holy, he protects his people, and he's merciful. And I believe that Jonah knew those same things about God. He had heard and he had seen God's goodness, and he knew that God was faithful and just. Oftentimes, I think when we learn the attributes of God, um, we see our own sinfulness revealed. We see how far we are from who God is. Um, But hopefully, then we also see that we need a Savior and that we can truly know God through Jesus. So being a good theologian that Jonah probably was, he knew the attributes of God. He knew that God was gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents from sending um, calamity. In 1 Chronicles 28, 9 and 10, it says, And Solomon, my son, learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. Worship and serve him with your whole heart and willing mind. For the Lord sees every heart and knows every plan and thought. If you seek him, you will find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. So take this seriously. The Lord has chosen you to build his temple as a sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. It's so important that we know who God is. This greatly affects our thoughts, which, like we talked about, turns into our words, turns into our actions and our habits. Guard our heart and learn the character of God, and then we can see who he is. We can see how we can trust him. It's not always going to be easy, but we can see that. Chapter 4 clearly reveals the thoughts and intents of Jonah's heart, and he exposes his sin. So the wording itself indicates evil. We find in verse 1, in the NIV, it says that Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. 
And that word displeased comes from two Hebrew words, meaning to do evil, harm, be wicked, and then be angry or envious. So this denotes any activity which is contrary to God's will and indicates an attitude that rejects God's authority. Those who are characterized by such an attitude lack understanding and deliberately plan to hurt others, even habitually, and God will discipline such people. So this is not a very good attitude, I would say, to hold against the God of creation, right? Seriously, Jonah, what are you thinking is what I kind of want to say to him. What are you thinking talking to God like this? But seriously, what are we thinking when we grumble and complain and we talk to God like this? Obviously, it's a toned down um, way compared to Jonah, but we often come to him the same way. We often come to him with our complaints or our ideas of what should be instead of what he has planned for us. Certainly it appears that Jonah failed to recognize the privilege that God had given him of being an instrument of God in this miraculous situation. He didn't really care about the souls of Nineveh. He appears furious, furious with God for keeping his word and saving them from destruction. When he fails to embrace God's sovereign plan, he misses the joy and blessing of the situation, and then he's sunk into a sinful and selfish state of mind. Jonah had a heart problem, which is where almost every problem that we have begins. He was unhappy with God, so unhappy that he was burning with anger. When we allow our mind to go and our heart to settle in a place of anger, joy is certainly hard to come by. When our heart beats differently than God's, we end up turning to our own ways and our own agendas instead of to the things of God. We must learn that our joy is not dependent on our circumstances or our conditions, but God desires for our joy to be experienced despite those things. Sadly, Jonah blatantly rejects the goodness of God towards the Ninevites. God is here willing to save this nation. These people that are in spiritual darkness that it says in some versions don't know their right from their left. They were doing everything imaginable, but yet God had chosen to forgive them. In that attitude, he symbolized the nation of Israel. Jonah's self-interests were a reminder of Israel and the lack of concern for the ways and mercy of God. In the NIV version, verse 1 starts with, But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. The word but at the beginning of verse 1 points us to the contrast between God's compassion and Jonah's displeasure. Here we see that God is turning from his anger and then Jonah's turning towards anger. Here we see that Jonah's fickle attitude towards God and his dealings are remarkably abrupt. Um, Disobedience in chapter 1, thanksgiving in chapter 2, obedience in chapter 3, displeasure in chapter 4. It kind of reminds me of being hangry. I don't know if you know what being hangry means, but it's when you're so hungry, you're angry, right? I don't know if you've ever been around anyone or you yourself maybe get hangry. I see some like um, (laughs) nods. But right, so here you are, you're so hungry for whatever reason you either didn't eat or you didn't eat enough and then your day's gotten away from you and before you know it, it's four o'clock in the afternoon and no one better talk to you, right? Because your anger level snaps until you get fed, your blood blood levels um, even out 
and then you're back, right? But if you get hungry again, I mean, hold the phone. I have someone personally in my life, I won't say who, um, that has been known to be hangry. But um, this is Jonah, right? He's up and down, he's up and down. I mean, maybe he didn't eat during all of this. I don't know. Maybe this was part of his problem. But he had a roller coaster of emotions. First, you know, he was being disobedient. And then he was thankful when he prayed to God in chapter 2. Then um, he does end up being obedient. He preaches the message. But then he's mad about the outcome, right? So there's two times in the book of Jonah that he stopped to pray. The first is in um, chapter 2. But... His second prayer was much different than his first. We see he prayed the best prayer in the worst place, the belly of the whale, and he prayed the worst prayer in the best place. So in the moment, he should be standing in amazement at what God has done. The amount of um, transformation and the miracles that were happening in the heart's that of the people that were changed, he should be excited. He should be filled with thanksgiving. But instead, there he's complaining. And then when he was in the belly of the whale, he was very thankful for God, maybe just because he wanted out of there, right? So Jonah, an object of God's compassion, had no compassion for Nineveh's people. He failed to recognize his privilege of being an instrument of God in a miraculous situation. So here we see, just like Nineveh is an object of God's compassion, so was Jonah. And God had been compassionate to Jonah, but he failed to recognize God's sovereign plan, and he missed the joy, he missed the amazement of the situation. Realizing all of this, Jonah also said that he knows that God does not want to hurt his people. The prophet feared that all these attributes, all these things that he knew to be true about God were actually going to happen. Um, he knew that God would extend um, compassion towards these despicable, cruel people, and it happened just as he thought. Never did it seem to cross his mind that it was because of the Lord's great love for him, for Jonah, that he himself wasn't consumed. So check out this. We so quickly see the dreaded faults in others, but so very often we neglect to see how full of evil our own hearts are. We are forever screaming to the Lord for justice against our enemies, but mercy towards us, and so dull that we don't seem to see a problem with that. How often do we point out other people's faults? Point out the things that other people are doing wrong, the ways that they are being evil or distrusting against God, but we fail to hold the mirror up and see the evil in our own hearts, in our own lives. And sometimes I think, um, especially in this day and age, you know, everything's just quick, everything is instantaneous, and so that has become our culture of judging people as well. You're really quick to judge when someone's doing wrong. You're really quick to um, cancel somebody because they said something and maybe it was taken out of context, maybe it wasn't, but we are quick to see other people's faults and way less quick to see our own faults in the mirror. So the this analogy will perhaps help us to understand it a little bit better. It's similar to a child who had been told all his life that he is special. He's the most perfect thing in the world, and he is deserving of all good things. 
Have you ever known someone like that? Um, But this child will most likely become a spoiled child filled with disregard for others and expecting others to treat him or her better than they are treating other people. Just like Israel. Israel expected God and other nations to treat them as special. God's election of Israel was never to become a source of pride for this nation. For God did not want, or God did not find any inherent merit in her, which motivated him to choose her. Israel actually was very small in size, which would have um, been a hindrance to her election. But here um, we find that they are special because God loved them first. We as humans tend to be possessive. We tend to pretend to own those who love us and we love. And the Israelites pretended to possess and deserve God's love. They were trying to claim exclusivity over God's attention and regard. But God is clear that that is not the case. When reputation gets in the way of our character and pleasing ourselves is more important than pleasing God, we are in danger of becoming like Jonah and living to defend our own prejudices instead of fulfilling our spiritual responsibilities. Oftentimes, our character, our pleasing ourselves, our self-centeredness gets in the way of um, pleasing God. We want to defend the things that are wrong, and it gets in the way of fulfilling our spiritual responsibilities. So as we continue on in Jonah, Jonah 4, verses 4 through 8, the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry about this? So I'm thinking Jonah's throwing a fit. He's you know, at level 10, and then God comes at, like, just the level two. Is it right for you to be angry about this? Like, and has anyone ever done that to you? You're really, like, on a roll, and then they're, like, calm down. And in the history of telling someone to calm down, I'm not sure anyone has ever calmed down, but (laughs) I feel like the Lord comes in, God's voice comes in, is it right for you to be angry about this? And then he just sits and waits, you know, for the answer. But Jonah makes his way to the east side of the city, made a shelter to sit under, as we, and he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. Soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant, so it withered away. As the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Certainly, or death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. So check this out. The conditions and circumstances around us can often block our view of God's goodness, right? So Jonah's unhappy. He's sitting there. The plant covers him. He's fine. The plant goes away. He's not fine. And we just use our circumstances um, around us to control our thoughts, and we often miss God's goodness in it all. Where are our eyes? Are they on our circumstances, or are they on the Savior of our circumstances? Are they on our own strength, or are they on God's power. Scripture tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus, and this will enable us to not lose heart when we are in circumstances not of our choosing. The writer of Hebrews states in Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, 
Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disrespecting its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people, and then you won't give up or become weary and give up. What do we dwell on when we are in Jonah's state of mind? What do we fix our mind on? Is it on our problems and how to get what we want out of the situation? Do we fix our eyes on our own purposes and our plan, or do we look to God's perfect truth? Often in our distress, we need to be reeled in and reminded of the simple yet profound truths that can be found in God's word. The promises of scripture serve as a balm to the weary soul. In the Bible, it talks about the word of God being sweet as honey to the mouth. To be reminded that God loves us and that he cares for us should help us to understand how he loves and cares for other people. Jonah was so distraught in his emotions that he did not even reply to God's question. He left the city. He stumped off, once again, our angry toddler situation, um, prepared some shade, and was apparently giving Jonah a clear vantage point of the city. Perhaps he would hope, he was hoping that God would answer his plea and judge the city anyway. Our prophet was simply unable to imagine that God would carry out his justice on a people so deserving so deserving as the Ninevites. He refused to accept that God would extend his mercy and compassion to people other than the Israelites. So they had become a nation, a people, right? Very important in God's eyes, but they wanted the goodness of God and didn't um, have concern for those around them. He made up his mind that God would not show them mercy, and he couldn't have been any further from the truth. His actions, like we talked about, were like a sulking child who didn't get his way. And obviously, he had forgotten that even in his disobedience, God forgave him. God showed compassion and mercy to him when he least deserved it. For the second time in this book of Jonah, Jonah abandoned his place of ministry. He left the city. He sat down to the outside where he could easily see what happened. And without answering God, Jonah stomped off and he stayed away from the city, and he missed so many opportunities while he was being childish and selfish. He could have taught the Ninevites so much about God's goodness, who God was, who God had been to them, but instead he preferred to wallow in his self-pity and pout because he wasn't getting his way. So Jonah had a preconceived idea about who the Ninevites were and why they shouldn't receive the compassion of God, um, but it prevented his heart to beat with mercy like God's does. Both reasons and affections are crucial to loving God rightly. So God's way to our understanding in our mind is through our affections, and that's our heart. Those who do not find delight in the Lord will seek it other places. We discover that God is slow to anger, again attempting to reason with this prophet. This time he's like, I'm going to do an object lesson, right? I'm going to have this plant grow. And he took an object of Jonah's affection, things which he found comfort in, and he contrasted it with the object of his own concern, which was the souls of the people, the souls of the people of Nineveh. 
He witnessed the Ninevites repent and reform, and he was not happy about it. So the 40 days were coming to an end. That was the timeline God had given them to turn back from their wicked ways. And Jonah had hoped that if Nineveh was not overthrown, then some other judgment would come upon them so he could save his own reputation. Because I'm sure there's people around him being like, same thing. Why are you going to Nineveh? Why would God spare them? Do you know what they have done? Right? We've probably often said that phrase. Do you know what they have done? Do you know what they've done to me? And you kind of stomp your feet, you know, shake your fist. Like, do you know who those people are? But God had asked Jonah to go there. God knew that Jonah was very uncomfortable sitting in the area he had constructed. So he so graciously had the leafy plant go grow and cause large leaves that would protect Jonah from the hot sun. How very kind God was being to Jonah um, when he had senselessly caused these problems for himself. He had made his own decisions, but God is coming along once again, little mercies, little compassion along the way. God's actions, of course, pleased Jonah. He was definitely more comfortable. It was a shadow over his head. He could deliver himself from his self-imposed grief, and he was being physically refreshed. Maybe it was even protecting the anxieties in his mind. So you can imagine as Jonah's sitting there going over the last, you know, several weeks of his life, the things that are going through his head. If your mind is one that ever runs constantly overthinking things, maybe it's just me, but um, what did I do in the last couple weeks and why did it go this way? Um, I think the comfort that God had provided maybe helped him to clear a little bit of his mind. But when the discomfort came back, it's hard for us to think clearly. So the conditions changed his attitude, but not for long. And then we see in the next um, little bit of the story that the next day God arranged, God provided um, the plant. The next day he provided the worm to eat through the stem of the plant. And Jonah again became unhappy. So here we're back on our emotional roller coaster ride. We could say that Jonah's happiness was as self-centered as his anger. Both of them were focused on him internally. With the sudden loss of provision that God made for his comfort, he immediately focused on his trouble, the things that weren't going right in his life. This teaches us to be thankful for those little mercies and comforts that God provides, but we can't always expect that they're going to be there. He also arranged, God also provided a hot wind to make the prophet feel the lack of the vine. When the vine had gone, to way, gone away, he would feel the lack. And the ancient Hebrew word for angry is literally to be hot. So God was allowing Jonah to feel a little bit of the heat. He wanted him to see um, how hot it could be. He was miserable. And sim uh, similar to being hangry, have you ever had a bad attitude because it's hot? I mean, I feel like that's a whole nother category. You're hot or your kids are hot. They get in the car and it's 90 degrees out. And of course the car's not cool yet, right? But they're hot and they're immediately complaining about it. Um, maybe it's just my kids. It's possible. Um, but we e easily go from 
being comfort or having comfort to not and complaining about it and then having something provided for us and then it's not there anymore and we're immediately complaining about it. So whether you get angry because it's hot or because you're hungry, it causes you to go on an emotional roller coaster. But this is just a biblical affirmation that God's creation, the elements of his creation are controlled by God. They come and go as he pleases, and they are designed for his own purposes. So the combination of the hot sun and the smoldering desert wind made Jonah want to die even more. It appears that those who love to complain often find something to complain about. Have you heard that? Um, If that's your mind, if that's where you're going, if you're not having an attitude of gratefulness, it's really easy to find something to complain about, and you got to stop that really quick, or you go down the rabbit hole of being unhappy with everything. Um, Ironically, Jonah was selfishly glad for his own comfort, but not the people of Nineveh and their relief from judgment. God was reminding Jonah of what it was like to be lost helpless, hopeless, miserable, just as he had been in the depths of the sea. He, what, who so foolishly caused problems for himself, now was wanting to die. Again, the prophet was so discomforted, first by Nineveh's repentance, but now by the loss of the shade from the vine. And he was ready to just give it all up. He was tired of it. The questions to ask ourselves a simple test of character. What makes me happy? What makes me angry? And what makes me want to give up? Jonah was, one minute he's preaching God's word. The next minute he's disobeying and running. While inside the great fish, he prayed to be delivered, but now he asked God to kill him, like it would be better off if he was dead. He called the city to repentance, but he didn't want to repent himself. He was more concerned about his own comforts than he was about winning the lost, about his reputation um, over the salvation of others. So, ironically, the great fish, the people of Nineveh, the vine, the worm, and the wind have all obeyed God in this story. But Jonah, who God has called as his prophet, still refuses to obey, and he has the most to gain. He could have made the greatest impact right? Everyone else obeys. Jonah refuses to obey even though he has the most to gain. As we continue on in this story, God is continuing to try to reason with Jonah. And then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Here he's going a little bit extreme again. Then the Lord said to him, You feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it here. It came quickly, it died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? In our verses today, For today, we discover that God was asking Jonah the same question he posed earlier. Do you have a right to be angry? This time in verse 9, he adds the word about the plant. The wording actually means, do you have a right to be angry or to burn with anger as a fire that has just been ignited about the vine, about the plant? God desired for Jonah to see the contrast between him sparing Nineveh and his destroying the vine. But Jonah's total lack of concern for the spiritual welfare, for the eternal state of the people of Nineveh, 
and his concern over his physical comfort and welfare. With so much concern for himself, Jonah replied that his anger over the withered plant was justified, so much that he wanted to die. Um, He was so mad at God and his uncomfortable situation that he was ready to die rather than giving up his anger. His anger blinded him to the absurdity of his feelings, the things that he was saying. Um, Does our anger do that? Unrighteous anger feeds the ego and produces the poison of selfishness in the heart. Right? So from an outsider looking in, we can see, man, he is being unreasonable here. Right? But oftentimes in our own anger, in our own situations, we fail to see Um, how crazy we're being, the craziness of our comments, the extreme things that we will say. In chapter one of Jonah, God's mind or Jonah's mind understood God's will, but he refused to obey it. And he took his body, he ran in the opposite direction. In chapter two, Jonah cries out for help and God rescued him and he gave himself back to the Lord. In chapter three, Jonah yielded his will to the Lord and went back to Nineveh to preach. But his heart was obviously not yet surrendered to the Lord's will and his ways. So Jonah made three mistakes that angry people often make. And with each mistake, it put Jonah in a worse place, not a better place. So oftentimes when we get angry, just like Jonah, we quit serving God and we quit serving others. Secondly, Jonah separated from himself from others. We tend to isolate. When we get really angry and we're just like determined, like this is how it's going to be, we separate ourselves from others. And that's what the enemy wants. He wants us to be in isolation so we're thinking about our own thoughts, our own way, our own will, instead of what God has for us. And then Jonah becomes a spectator. He's off to the side, just waiting to see what is happening rather than participating in what God called him to do, which was to preach to the people of Nineveh, to tell them about the one true God and how important he was for their transformation. Jonah had a lot of lessons to learn, perhaps the most important one of all. In chapter one, he learned the lesson of God's um, providence and patience, that you cannot run away from God. In the second chapter, he learns the lesson of God's pardon, that he forgives those who call upon him. In chapter 3, he learns the lesson of God's power as he sees a whole entire city humble themselves before the Lord. Now he had the lesson of, to learn the lesson of God's pity, that God had compassion for lost sinners like the Ninevites, and his people must also have mercy and compassion. It seems incredible that Jonah brought a whole city to faith in the Lord and yet did not love the people that he was preaching to. He was so mad at God, his uncomfortable situations, that he would rather die than give up his anger. His rage blinded him to the craziness of his feelings and his statements. Certainly Jonah had no part in making the plant grow, and neither had he created the people of Nineveh, but God had, and he loved, and he cared for them. God sought to calm his prophet down a little with his soothing voice. This is my emphasis, which is what I imagined happened. Um, But let's compare... And said, let's compare your situation to my situation. You watched a vine get eaten away, and you got all worked up with concern and pity over this vine. Now this vine was just something that came to you. 
Basically, God is stating here, you didn't tend to the vine. You didn't make it grow. It sprang up overnight. It died overnight. Think of the real value of it, something simply for your comfort. Jonah's affections were distorted. He cared more for the vine than he did for the human lives. He cared more for his own comfort than the spiritual destiny of an entire nation. He cared more for his ways than God. And what a picture of Israel in Jonah's day. Do we care for our own comforts over the souls of men? In our comfort and ease that most of us have in the Western world, we can far too quickly become distracted with things that are temporary over things that are eternal. We make our luxuries and wants into necessities, and then we grumble and complain when we don't have them. And I'm just as guilty as anyone else. Um, Jonah had had pity on the vine that perished, but he did not have compassion for the people who were perishing and would soon be living eternally apart from God. Often we do not appreciate how amazingly wonderful heaven is and how terribly awful hell is. We often think of, man, I can't wait to get to heaven and all of the things, and I want to be there. I, 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 it's all about me. But we forget to think about how awful hell is. How that as your eternal destination is not where I want to be. It's not where anybody wants to be. And we often forget the correlation between or how vastly different the two are. This is a very strange way to end the book of Jonah. It's very dramatic. But God had the first word in the book of Jonah, chapter 1. And God has the last word, as it always will be. Yet, we're left not knowing what Jonah's final answer was to that question. As the book concludes, Jonah was angry, depressed, hot, faint, and he was left to contemplate God's word about his own lack of compassion and God's depth of compassion. But the Lord had made his points throughout this book. He is gracious towards all nations. He is sovereign. He punishes rebellion. He wants his own people to be um, to obey him, and he places no limits on his universal love and grace. So, some good questions for us to ponder in the book of Jonah are, do we agree with God that the people without Christ are eternally lost? Like God, do we have compassion for those who don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior? How can we demonstrate this compassion do we have concern for those in our cities where there is so much sin yet so little witness? Are we faithful to pray that the gospel will go to people in every part of the world and are we helping to send it there? Do we rejoice when sinners repent and trust the Savior? All of those questions and more are wrapped up in what God asked Jonah. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? We cannot answer for Jonah, right? But we can answer for ourselves. The miracle in the book of Jonah is not that he spent three days and three nights in the belly of a large fish. The miracle in the book of Jonah is that the living God even loved evil people, and he will send his prophets and the word of the Lord to save them. 
Um, today, as we close, I'm going to get a little bit personal. <laughs> um, and while most of us will not have an opportunity to preach a message and see a large city turn from their wicked ways, we all have an opportunity to extend God's mercy and compassion towards someone in our own lives. So this is something that I have struggled with recently. Um, there's a relationship in our extended family life in which a person has done wrong to our family. Um, it's easy to be angry at the situation, um, but as I'm being so angry about why is this happening, um, what's the meaning of this, how can it continue to go on, I easily forget that this person is a son of the King, of the Most High God. And I truly believe that transformation and forgiveness is possible. So rather than sit around and be angry, which I feel very justified in, just like Jonah did, I feel like, hey, these are evil people. This is things that are not of God. I choose to pray for this person. I've seen God's goodness in my own life. I've seen his mercy when I least to deserve it. And I've seen it before, and I truly believe that I will see it again. Our world is filled with injustices, things that shouldn't be the way they are. There is brokenness everywhere. And because of that brokenness, we won't always see things as God sees them. And it's hard not to raise our fists in the air and say, wait a minute. Did someone forget my situation? Did someone forget the people that are involved in the wickedness of this? But um, as we turn from anger and focus on God, we see that he does um, call them back to him and he calls people to repentance and transformation. It's not going to be easy. It's not easy forgiving somebody that has done harm to you or your family or said things to you or your family that aren't true or your friends. And you want to stand up for what is right. And I believe that God is a just God and he will take care of the situation. But oftentimes in the moment, I forget that he's the one that has the plan. We have to trust God that he will do what he needs to do in that situation. Craig Grishel um, says, what you attempt to control the most often reveals where you trust God the least. And so, so many times we try to take it into our own hands. Jonah was trying to control the outcome. He was trying to protect his reputation. He wanted to see the people of Nineveh pay for the things that they had done to people around them. But because he was so focused on this and so honed in on this, it shows that Jonah didn't trust that God knew what he was doing and that he had a plan. And redemption is always God's plan. And God will always get the final word. I feel like the book of Jonah, um, like I mentioned, I hadn't studied before, but it really messes with you. It's kind of like this mind game. Like, what are you talking about? How can you forgive these people? I can kind of see how Jonah would feel um, when he feels justified in his actions. But the question that I will leave you with today is, are you okay with God loving your enemies? Are you okay with giving that over to God? Are you okay with taking those situations in your life, those things that you're angry about, forgiving those people and trusting that he has the better way, that God always gets the final word? Are you okay with God loving 
your enemies. I'll have you stand as we close today. Everybody has different situations. Everybody has been different places, has a different journey of how they got there. Um, Sometimes we've seen the will of God very prevalent in our life. We've seen the goodness. And then there's other times we're spent searching, why is this situation, why is this thing going on forever? Um, Why isn't God answering the prayer that we have? Um, And why aren't we justified in our own actions and thoughts? But today, is there someone that you need to forgive? Is there an enemy in your life, someone who has done you wrong, that you need to remind yourself that they are a son or daughter of the king? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today. And because of the brokenness in this world, things happen that don't seem right. But we know that just as we look towards other people, towards our enemies, and you love them, and you desire for them to come back, that you desire for repentance and transformation in their lives, that you have given so much of that to us. We are so grateful for the mercy and compassion that you have poured out on your people. When we are quick to judge, when we are quick to point fingers, let us remember, let us be reminded of your mercy and compassion. And when we look at others and we see their lives being transformed and we don't know how that is happening, let us look to you and say, we know that you are a merciful and compassionate God, that you love your people, that you are slow to be angry with us, with others. Father God, turn our hearts into hearts of compassion. May we reflect your image. May we reflect your character in our day-to-day as we show compassion to people that don't deserve it. But we know we don't deserve it as well. Stir our hearts. Stir our hearts as we walk out of this place today, Father God, that you would put those situations in our mind where we need to repent, where we need to be praying for somebody that is our enemy, where we need to be loving someone to Jesus. And no matter what wrong they've done to us, no matter what they've done to our family, we thank you for complete transformation today in our own lives, in the lives of the people around us. Transform us. Let us become like you. Help us to focus on the things of God and not our comfort and our circumstances, but let our words reflect the thoughts that you've put in our hearts. Father God, I thank you that you take this word and you help us to meditate it on it this week. We are so thankful for the word that you have spoken, for the truth and faithfulness of your character. And we thank you most of all for your amazing grace and compassion towards us. In Jesus' name, amen.